Okay, so we're going to return to the Church of the Miraculous. Uh, uh, how was it to describe it? It just was the church that saw God do some unusual things and uh, it continued to just have his hand upon that group of people, and it continued to grow under his guidance and grace. So I'm going to come to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to jump back to verse 20, and then I'm going to jump 29 to 42. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go there. So verse 20. It's a part of the uh, apostles' uh, release. Uh, we have the, the angel of the Lord comes in verse 19, opens the doors, and brings them out. And then he gives them this command. He says, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. We'll focus on one part of that in terms of divine imperatives that are part of that, that verse. And then jump down to verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied uh, after they had been found and brought before the, the religious leaders again to uh, give uh, show cause for why they should be permitted to do what they're doing or shouldn't incur something else. says, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when the religious hurt leaders heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while, and then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, and he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed. It all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in the revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had, had them flogged. Well, they didn't get off exactly scot-free, but they had them flogged. Uh, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. Day after day in temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Um, some stories in the scripture have uh, good outcomes. Some, you know, the people don't make out. And obviously, Ananias and Sapphira is a story in Acts 5 that it doesn't have a lot of good outcome for them, although it is a positive thing for the church. Uh, so I, I want to take a look today at a couple things related to this particular portion of scripture and, and the... Um, the impact of that in terms of what God was up to. We, we, we talked before, last week, we talked about the miraculous nature of the church and its growth and its ministry and its witness from several of the verses that uh, we've already looked at. Uh, I want to come back to, uh, as I said, to verse 20 
and look down at that. One of the core values of, of our denomination of the Alliance is in regards to the completion of the Great Commission. You know, we have that Great Commission, you know, going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so uh, that's the commission that Jesus gives, the command that he gives, and we're in the process of, of helping to complete that. That's, that's contemporary kind of stuff that we do. And in regards to that, the core value puts it this way. Uh, let me see. It's, it's core value number seven. So... I don't know why I remember that. Okay, core value seven says the completion of the Great Commission requires the the full uh, requires the full involvement of every follower of Christ or every disciple of Christ. It requires everybody to be involved, and it it, it will it will involve us in different ways. I mean, we do a mission focus each Sunday in terms of mission education, and that's information. We, we sometimes will get uh, that information and we will bring it to the Father. and That's intercession. So that's another way of doing it. There are some people who have the sense of call upon their life that they actually have the opportunity to go and serve cross-culturally to uh, people that they're not maybe native to. Or there are those times when people from a given nation uh, return to that nation as missionaries or in ministry. Or you find uh, other alternatives. Because we are attempting to build self-sustaining or indigenous churches in the mission ministry of the Alliance, we actually have missionaries that come from other cultures to the United States as missionaries. Don't think that we're not, we're, we're the people who are always giving, giving, sending, sending, because there are people that come to the United States to serve and minister from other missional agencies that are growing up themselves. And sometimes they'll come and they'll work on, among a specific people group. But that requires the mobilization, the involvement of every follower of Jesus. What is the place of service and ministry you have? It may be information. It may be intercession. It may be contribution that you give in terms of enabling missionaries to go and work cross Culturally, it certainly isn't going to. It certainly is going to involve our prayer on our part and support that way. Uh, front part of December, we have Sharon Foley scheduled to come and be with us, and uh, <clears throat> she will. She'll have that that whole time, and it's it's. It, um, I just want you to get thoroughly in, acquainted, involved, reacquainted, reconnected with Sharon uh, in her ministry. Then in the spring of next year, we have scheduled. Uh, Jordan Irvin, who is, excuse <coughs> me, and uh, I'm sorry, he's in the Creative Access country. Uh, I won't tell you which one it is, um, but well, I'm tempted to make jokes about it. But but anyway, but the Creative Access country it used to be publicized, but now it just kind of has to kind of go under the radar a little bit, and, and <coughs> so he will be with us in the spring. Uh, I'm assuming that you're going to have. Some things all transitioned out by then, so I'll just be praying for you, cheering for you, uh, in terms of whatever uh, distance that might be. But who knows? See where it all goes. See what God has. So let me come back to Acts chapter five. <coughs> A couple things here. I want to talk first of all about 
the church of the Miraculous that lived under divine imperatives. Now, for those who may not be all that caring about the English language, I feel sorry for you. But anyway, but but in in the English language, there are different uh, verbiages. There are different verb kinds of things. You know, there's, uh, there's tenses and voices and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that is is a part of our English language is sometimes we run into things that are called imperatives. <coughs> Excuse me. They are commands essentially. They are things that we are that someone tells you to do. Mom comes in in the morning and says, get out of bed. The wife comes in in the morning and says, get out of bed. The husband comes in in the morning and says, get out of bed. We, we talk to each other and we say, I want you go do that. It's an imperative. It's, it's a command. It's something you are told to do. In verse 20, there are three imperatives that are given there. So back up to it. The first imperative is go. Simply put, go. And, 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 and that, that imperative of go gives you what I believe is a commission. It's a task. It's a job that we have to do. <coughs> go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. Great commission. Going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And so it's a command that's given, and it's a commission that is given by Jesus to his disciples. Interestingly, this is the word of the angel during the night. The angel of the Lord opens the door, verse 19, brings them out, and he tells them, <coughs> go. He gives them the imperative. And I, I, I kind of expanded it a little bit here very quickly. Just you go with purpose. That is this great commission that God has given to us. You go with passion that whatever it is that you do, and the scriptures use this phrase, whatever it is that you have, do it with all your might. Thank you, brother. Do it with all of your might. Uh, it doesn't make a difference how fancy or frilly the church is. You have the opportunity to, to be passionately involved in its ministry and in your service. So you go not only with purpose, the commission that we have, but passion. Whatever it is that you put your hand to, do it with all your might. You do it also, you go with power. It's This is not just <coughs> information, but transformation that we're looking for. You know, you can, I can preach a dozen sermons with a lot of information which you could not argue with greatly because it's biblically based. But just information alone isn't going to do it. It's not, it's not what you got up here. That's important. It's what it's doing, what that information is doing for you, how it is transforming, how it is changing you. And that's the important piece in the commission that we have, the imperative of God. The second imperative is to stand. And it says stand in the temple courts. It gives them the geography in which they, they go. And that imperative to stand gives you, I believe, his presence. He not only tells you to go and gives you the, the power, the enabling, the commission to do that, but now he says, I want you to go and stand. And that gives you his presence. No matter where it is that God has you, it doesn't make a difference whether it's in a workplace or a family setting or a church setting or community. 
You do not go alone. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, end of the age as well. So you stand before him. Verse 29, which we read about, we must obey God rather than men, talks about standing with conviction. Sometimes people in the church live not with conviction, but preference. There are some things you prefer. You know, you, you might prefer a, a guy dressed in a jacket. Sometimes uh, you, you might, you know, blue jeans. Okay. I, you know, our world has changed so very much, and we've gotten very casual, and so we don't often dress uh, dress up. Uh, used to be that way, but people, but that, that's neither here nor there in one sense. But we, but when we go, we stand before God. We stand before men. We stand with a sense of conviction. We must obey God rather than men, and and that's not and that's not a, a preference. I prefer to go to this particular church. It's a conviction that we have a job to do, and we stand before people with that conviction. We stand not only with that conviction, but we stand with compassion. Um, a, a number of years ago, oh, a bunch of years ago. Uh, we had a, a, a pastor who was elected as district superintendent. His name was Leon Young. And uh, uh, one time Leon was talking, and I think it was at a district conference, and he made this comment. And he says a phrase I, I'm familiar with, but I, I think I heard it again. He says, it doesn't, people don't want to know how much you know they, uh, until they know how much you care. And I think that's the shepherd's heart. You know, there are people that you encounter because you are a Christ follower. You'll talk with them. You'll dialogue with them. But they're not interested in how many Bible smarts you've got, necessarily. They are interested. Do you really care for me? Do you, do you, are you really interested in me? Are you, are you really willing to take the time to get down and dirty and involved in, in my junky world? And we have the opportunity to do that. Because we stand with compassion. We need to have, as I put it there, the shepherd's heart that cares for people where they're at. Now, it's helpful if you have the gift of mercy. You know, God gives that to you. That's one of the things that I'm wired with. And so my heart goes out. It's it, it just the way God has wired me and gifted me. And so that, that compassionate shepherd's heart is there. If, if you're a guy who, who, who's in ministry and you have more of the prophetic side, it's, it's maybe a little bit more of the, the hard side of things. Needed, but just one particular aspect. And, it, you know, some people, some pastors may not have that kind of sense of compassion, but they may have just the, thus say the Lord and that kind of thing. I was told, I'm told, and I think I've read this a couple spots, there was a man in the alliance, his name was A.W. Tozer, who uh, continues to be read, well-read, widely read, across denominational flavors. Uh, and I, I don't want to speak Ill, Ill of the dead, uh, uh, but this may be interpreted as such. A.W. Tozer was a terrible pastor. He did not want to be bothered with visiting people. It was, but he had that prophetic side to him. So the important thing for A.W. Tozer was to surround himself with people who had all the accessory gifts so they could be utilized. And so the ministry of the church that he served at Blanchard Road or Chicago area grew 
not because he was a tremendous guy that you could always, but but uh, but because he built around him a group of people that they stood with compassion, and they also stand here with compulsion. Uh, I guess uh, here, I guess. Uh, this is the alliterative preacher stuff in me, I guess. I have to confess to that. Compulsion means I have to do this thing. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. This is the way Paul would put it. And there was this divine command to go, the imperative, the command, the imperative to stand, and we stand with that sense of I have to do this. I suppose there needs to be in any preacher as a herald of God, the sense of um, God has called me to this, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned, but a good friend of mine, uh, uh, of ours, recently passed away. Uh, his name was Don. And uh, Don had been in our church in uh, Appalachian up in upstate New York when we first had a solo pastor ministry. For a few years before we transitioned to ministry down in New Cumberland, and uh, Don and his wife Linda became part of the part of the church in New Cumberland in in Appalachian. And then a number of years later, Don followed, ended up coming down to New Cumberland. And Don was a very uh, um, I- interesting person. Uh, he's a good brother. But he was kind of a burlap character, I guess. You know, he wasn't a silk kind of guy. He was a burlap kind of guy. Uh, it just kind of a little rough on the edges, and sometimes it gets a bit coarse, you know. But but he's a man that simply loved Jesus. He simply loved Jesus, and he 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 longed to serve. Uh, there, regardless of the geography and regardless of what his employment issues were. I always seem to have that passion for Jesus and that sense of woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Linda, uh, since Don passed away, are planning a memorial service. I'm going to be officiating at that in the middle of November. And she said, one of the things that Don wanted to make sure got done was make sure that the gospel message was preached. So there's that sense of I have to do this, not because somebody is telling me to, but because there is a sense of there are people's lives at stake. You don't know. I mean, it doesn't make a difference how big the congregation is. I mean, statistically, maybe if you have a larger congregation, maybe there's a larger in, a possibility that uh, there could be non-believers in the gang who are just good people going to church, doing the right thing, but, you, but they're still on the outside looking in. And I know that that's of concern to that family, uh, more, more in terms of the family kind of thing. But you stand with that sense of compulsion, and his presence goes with you. One more imperative is the imperative to tell. Uh, King James says, go, stand, and speak. But regardless of what the translation is, it, it, it makes us proclaimers. It makes us people who have a responsibility to tell. Um, last week when we met after church and talked about you know, all the stuff relating to light the night. Don had a little brochure, a little leaflet uh, from Belfay, Share Jesus Without Fear. And there will be opportunity as we pray that God might open up. He might just send somebody that's, that's ripe fruit. And so we better pray to that end. And it was a good word that he said, you know, don't, 
don't try to don't try to force something. Don't try. To, you know, I, I we got some pears a while back, and uh, I forgot we had them in, in the refrigerator. And Barb said to me, uh, "You need to get you need to organize." So I pulled one of those pears out. It was soft and mushy. And I said, "Yeah, that goes right in the trash." Okay. Pulled another one out, and it sliced very very nicely. Oh, it was nice and sweet. Pulled another one out, same crop. Pulled another one out, and it was hard yet. This Bosch pear, it just was not. It, it was. It was not. It had not ripened yet, and it wasn't as nice and juicy. It was kind of bitter. Don't prematurely kind of pick that. But we have opportunity to be proclaimers because we are called or commanded in the imperative to tell that message, the gospel. Tell with your ears open. Tell with your eyes open. Tell with your life open. Those are simply discretion or directions for that. Listen. I, uh, sometimes I pick up uh, grandkids live next door to us. I'll pick them up after school. And uh, when I come down around the corner to go in to pick up Kaylee first in high school, uh, there's a Baptist, Valley Baptist Church there, right on the curb. And uh, they, had a, they had a sign board. Uh, they have a sign board up front, good, good yardage, good visibility. And they talked about, said, listen often and carefully. Speak less often <laughs> and, and less frequently. In other words, listen. You've got to be listening. So, when we're around people, you just listen. Listen. You tell with your ears open. You tell with your eyes open and watch. Sometimes nonverbal communication. You, I was listening to a thing. Uh, Max Lakeda was being interviewed on a program and uh, said something about his wife ran into somebody in the store. Or, or no, it was him. He was in the parking lot. And he uh, came, came by somebody and he saw them and they looked distressed they looked troubled they looked preoccupied they looked like like something's not right when you came in today were you reading people see how they're doing you know listen with your ears listen with your eyes open and then tell with your life open in other words the scriptures say that our life is an open book seen and read by men and so that ought to be a part of our response to people, all a part of the privilege we have in these divine imperatives to go, to stand, and to tell. Well, what was it that they had to tell? Now I'm going to come back to the message. The Church of the Miraculous contained a transforming message, and that's verses 29 to 42. We already hit on one of them. that It was a message of obedience to God. We must obey God rather than men. Uh, next week I will not be here, but you better be here, and you better bring some other folks with you. Frank's going to bring the word, but I will be speaking at a at a men's retreat, and one I'm going to be preaching or teaching, or probably more teaching than preaching, uh, in the nature of that retreat uh, from the life of Jonah. I just felt prompted to get back. So Jonah's a fascinating character. But one of the things we'll start off with on Friday night is talking about issues of obedience. Obedience. Uh, Jonah uh, didn't do real well on the obedience scale there. Uh, God says, I have a job for you. Go and speak to Nineveh, preach against the sin. And Nineveh's up here. And Jonah says, I'm going this way. And so instead of taking a 500-mile ride, he thinks he's going to go 2,000 miles to Tarshish. 
and he chose not to obey. Well, that had consequences. And I won't give you the whole dump there, but all, all I'm saying is that it was a message of obedience. This is a message of obedience. It's a transforming message where we choose to obey God rather than men. The real heart of this message is found in verses 30 to 32 and then jumping to 42. So let me, let me, let me focus on that for just a few moments because it's a, it's a message of the preeminence of Jesus. The preeminence of Jesus. And he puts it this way. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior and gave him that he might give repentance and forgiveness to sins uh, of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Jesus was exalted, that's the preeminent place of Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior. It was a message that 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 was contained as expressed here by Peter, uh, of what he felt he needed to do, but it put Jesus in the right place. We can talk about all kinds of things in a church. You can talk about some of the theology of the church. You can talk about the pragmatic aspect of how the church ought to operate. But if Jesus is not the, the main focus point, then I think we're just kind of spinning wheels in a whole bunch of different areas. And Jesus needs to be preeminent, the one that is most important. So it always calls us to the, the question, what is the most important thing or what is the most important person in your life? Uh, you put a reference uh, to Matthew chapter 10. I want to go there for just a minute, verses 17 to 20, Matthew 10. It puts it this way. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils, flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Whenever, whatever setting we have, the opportunity to share that transforming message um, here the scriptures say, don't, don't stress out about it. God will give you what you need to say. He'll give you the words to say. If you're, if you're telling the message with your ears open, with your eyes open, if your life is open, and you're longing to connect with the people that God puts you in touch with, then he's going to be the one who gives you exactly what you need to say. It's not, you know, I, I, uh, a number of years ago, I went and took, uh, evangelism explosion training, and it's a, it's a method of sharing your faith. And so they 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 and you have go you go through a seminar, you learn the content, you get that memorized. It's kind of like like you you have in the the goal is to try to get through that information to to get to a point where you can harvest fruit if it indeed has been prepared. Now um, that can be very helpful. It can be a very helpful tool, but it's not the only tool in the box. You got you got you hammers and screwdrivers and wrenches and what it's it's just one tool. But sometimes I felt like in that evangelism explosion material that you were there to try to sell something. And that's the last thing that people want is to be feel feel like like you're trying to sell them something. Like you're trying to 
twist their arm to get them to buy your car. You know, um, we simply want to share the message of life that we found in Jesus. Trust him for the words to speak into the lives of those people as we share that transforming message. The other part that is fascinating about this is uh, in this transforming message is that it's a message of the privileges of association. Verse 41, and I, I love this wrap-up piece in this portion of Scripture. The apostles left the sand. They, they, had, they had just come through a house arrest at least or some kind of prison temple guard or the kind of thing. God opened the doors there. They've been told, don't do this. On countless occasions, they've been flogged now, and they come out and say, well, we got to go lick our wounds somewhere and get our life together. Ah, oh, the scriptures say that when they left the Sanhedrin, they left rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Are, are, you, uh, are you unafraid or unashamed to be associated with Christ followers? Um, you're going to have to answer that one. Sometimes there are people that you, you, you get a little embarrassed around because they're a little bit too religious fanatic kind of thing, you know. But, you know, remember that even 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 in the body of Christ, there are, there are all kinds of folks, it takes all kinds of folks to, to get the message of the gospel to other people and they may not all be nice and normal like you, okay, if you perceive yourself as nice and normal. Uh, but never be, never be so uh, ashamed that you don't associate with those who are Christ followers. You may differ from them. You may have a difference of opinion. And, and, and maybe you don't like Presbyterians or Baptists or Whiskeypalians or whatever. Pick a flavor, you know, whatever, in terms of your names. Maybe you just, well, I don't think I want to be around. You know, but, you know, in the cause of the kingdom, sometimes it's the greater cause of is Jesus being glorified in this situation. Sometimes in the Billy Graham crusades of, of, of the years past, there were some churches that just would not associate with Billy Graham because he did not preach everything that, he thought, that they thought he had to preach. And so they just kind of sanctimoniously wrapped themselves up in their robe and just stood back and said, well, okay, do what you want to do, but I'm not going to be part of that. I'm, not, I'm too pure. I'm too good. I'm too holy. And so it was that kind of... But I think if if the message of the gospel of Christ is being proclaimed, then that's what is important, and that's what you go for. Uh, don't major on the minors at that point. So here's the question. Here's a wrap-up question. I guess this is our thought here. Will City Light Church choose to be a church of the miraculous. I, I, it's not like I'm trying to whip up some miraculous kinds of things, but but if God is in the business of doing far beyond what we ask or think, breaking out of the normal, out of the unusual, if he's willing to do that, then are, are we willing to be part of that? Are we willing to associate with that? Will we see a miracle of growth? Will we see uh, a, a miracle that would energize the ministry of city life? Will a miracle of empowerment an empowered witness be ours. Will we model divine imperatives and proclaim a transforming message? In order for that to happen, there is a price to pay in order for it to be that kind of church. Uh, it, it won't come easily. It won't come with casualness or carelessness. It calls us to be all in. One year, I was down at Summit Grove 
which is our district's uh, summer ministry camp and youth stuff and a variety of things. And that was the theme uh, that uh, that's the family camp that week was all in. And, you know, we, we talk about that phrase. You say, I'm all in. You know, the sports teams talk about guys being all in and and oh, that, that business. But I'm wondering if, if we are really all in in terms of this and all in in particular for Jesus, our Messiah. So I guess for us, we need to ask God to enable us to be part of the Church of the Miraculous, however it is that he chooses to to work that all out in this local ministry, be part of that church of the miraculous in order that God might be glorified and the church will be strengthened and uh, lives will be transformed. So my prayer is that we'll be able to get there or keep on going. Now, now we're not done with the, with the wild and unusual stuff because the book of Acts is still going on and, and we're going to find some more stuff as we get into it. But... but uh, if you're living with God in a nice little box and you just take the lid off and let it come out on Sunday and do your religious thing and then come back in, put the lid back on so it doesn't interfere with anything else going on during the week, you can do that. It ain't no fun. It isn't any fun. Okay. To talk about imperatives in English, I guess I should probably clean up the language. It's not much fun at all. But when you allow Jesus to be the prince and the savior, as God has exalted him, as you, when you allow him to be that in your life, then the sky's the limit in terms of what he can choose to do through whatever the name of the church is uh, for his greater glory. So hey, let's pause for prayer. Okay. So, Father, you know uh, all the stuff that's gone on today. You know the messy weather that, that kept a fair number of folks away. Um, and you know uh, the desires of our hearts as we sit here before you this morning. Um, perhaps there, we might feel like there hasn't been a whole lot miraculous happening, but you know, but we know that there is a God, um, and His Son Jesus has been exalted as Prince and Savior. He's the one who saved us. And you know, Father, the needs of this group of people whom you've allowed to come together today. So, minister to this group. We know that you're sufficient for others who aren't part of the process here today, but we need you to show up in our midst today. We need to hear the imperatives of the courage to go and to stand before people and to tell or speak the, the words of life, the things that we have both seen and heard. And we trust you to enable us to do that in the forums that you give to us, whether it's a workplace or home place or a, a community place. Um, may we be unashamed. May we count it a privilege to identify with Jesus and his people for the greater glory of God. Now, minister to us as you know our needs. And minister to the folks who are not here today for whatever the needs are, whatever the reasons are. We know that there's just stuff that happens in this life and it just kind of gets in the way of some things, but we pray that you'll meet them, encourage them, draw them to yourself. Draw them to yourself. 
and we pray your blessing upon each one for the greater glory of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.